Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Word on Wednesday. This is Pastor Winfred Burns and once again we are here to explore the Word of God. I thank God for your presence tonight and my prayer is that by the, the time we leave this session that you will be truly blessed of the Lord. Let's take a moment or two for prayer, and then um, then I want to extend an invitation to those out there who perhaps have yet to receive their gift, and then we want to dive right into the Word. Amen? Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We thank you, O God, that once again you have provided an opportunity for us to come into your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you made the way that the curtain was ripped down, that the <clears throat> that there are no barriers between us and you because of the work of your son, Jesus Christ. We bless you and we praise you. Father, we come to declare that you are good and your mercy endures forever. We come, O Master, saying to you that it's your way that we desire. It's your word that we desire. It's your presence that we desire. So, Father, by the agency of your Holy Spirit, we would pray tonight that you would fill us till we want no more. Father, that, that your presence would just envelop the place where we are right now. That Because our desire is to be with you. Our desire is to go beyond just knowing you, and but to just be with you. So we ask that you would do, it, do that for us tonight. We ask that your Holy Spirit would lead us to, through this word, that your word would be empowered to transform us into what you have made us to be. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, to those of you out there who have never received the gift, a word that I've been giving over the past several weeks has been, your sins are forgiven. And that's what I want to say to you tonight. Your sins are forgiven. And you say, well, wait a minute, hold it. Yeah, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven because God has forgiven them. What do you mean by that? All of the offenses that you have, uh, that 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 you have that God had against you, all of the things that you did wrong, they have been forgiven through Jesus Christ. God made a way for you to come back to Him by paying your debt to Him in giving us his son, Jesus Christ. That's the gift I was talking about earlier. And so what you need to do is simple. If you want to to, to, to uh, be in fellowship with God, if you want to be born again, if you want to be what we call saved, receive the, the salvation of God, meaning that God comes along and rescues you from the position that you're in. All you have to do is receive the gift, and that gift is Jesus. And so you're saying, well, how do I receive the gift? You receive the gift by believing what God has said and what he's done. What did he say? He sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should have everlasting life. And so to you, God sent his son. That's the gift. And Jesus died on the cross for, to pay your sin penalty. And now that he's paid it, if you believe that that's what God has done for you, if you believe that Jesus is the son of God, and you ask him, you acknowledge that, yes, Jesus is the Son of God, and then you ask him to come into your life, you're saved. You're saved. And so how do I do that? Simple. Just by telling God, God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I ask him to be my Savior. I thank you that you've given 
him to me as payment for my sins, and I want him in my heart. So once you pray that prayer, then what I want you to do is this. I want you to really, if you, if you believe it and receive it, Jesus comes in your heart, then I want you to do something. I want you to go and I want you to find one of your Christian friends, and there are plenty of them out there, or go to your local church, and I want you to tell them what you did. You tell them, look, I prayed the prayer, I believe that God saved me, and I believe that I'm saved. But there's a lot that I need to understand. There's a lot more that I need to know. And ask him to help you. And they're, they're waiting for you. Right now, God has prepared pastors and he's prepared other Christians just for you. And they'll help you. And they'll help you understand more and more about this thing, salvation, and this gift that God has given you and what God is doing for you even right now. Amen? So with that said, I want you to do that. And we thank God for you. And even right now, I welcome you into the family of God because now you are a son. Now you are a daughter of God, and you belong to this great, great family. Yeah, you. You belong to God. And you can truly tell somebody, I'm God's child. And God in heaven, he, he applauds and says, yes, that is my baby. Amen. So now we want to make a quick flip and we want to go into uh, our lesson tonight. And as you know, over the past several weeks, we've been dealing with what I'm calling dirty words in the Bible. And the first dirty word that we dealt with uh, about three weeks ago was the word discipline. And we talked about what discipline really means. It doesn't mean that God's trying to beat you or strike you with a bolt of lightning, but he is training, he's teaching us and leading us in this training to our best life ever. And we graduated from understanding what discipline means, and we we went for the past two weeks on the word forgiveness. And when we talked about forgiveness, we defined it. Um, we defined it as uh, releasing someone from a debt. We also had the definition that it is the lifting of a burden. And then we talked about the functions of forgiveness, especially in the life of a believer. We discussed the fact that um, forgiveness has vertical and horizontal implications, the vertical impl implications being that if we did not forgive, then God was not forgiving us. That's, that's, the, that's the vertical implication. It impacts our relationship with God. Now, it has nothing to do with salvation. Don't, get, don't nobody get it wrong. Don't... Uh, it has nothing to do with your salvation. If once you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you ask him into your heart, you are saved. But what it does interrupt is, is the fellowship that you have with God. You see, God's not wanting you to be a hypocrite. And those who, who fail to forgive are basically hypocrites. They are pretending to be the vessel of God, and the vessel of God contains the forgiveness of God. And in actuality, what they contain is a bunch of prisoners because rather than releasing them as God has done for us in giving us his son, what, what people who practice unforgiveness do is they harbor hatred in their hearts. They harbor vengeance in their heart. And God, although there's a side of God, God's wrath, that does exist, God didn't send us out to execute his wrath. God sends his children out to show his, his nature of forgiveness. 
And so if we're truly born again, then we are those who are going around telling everyone, as I said earlier in uh, our study, that you have been forgiven. But when we fail to do that, what we do is we act as if we are vessels of forgiveness when in actuality we're not. And God is not going to deal with us. He's not going to fellowship with us. As a matter of fact, the blessings are interrupted because of our lack of forgiveness. And we went through several scriptural passages talking about that. That's on the vertical plane. On the horizontal plane, what we discussed is how unforgiveness has an impact on you spiritually and physically. How unforgiveness, when we practice unforgiveness, what happens is we literally put a hole in our soul. We put a, we open up an entryway that just like the uh, sore can get on your skin and get infected, we infect our souls. We open this entryway up and into the, and, and coming through that, that entrance is hatred and revenge and bitterness and all manner of stuff that impacts our ability to grow in Christ. But not only does it impact our ability to grow in Christ, but it also hinders our effectiveness in our witness. And then it goes even further than that. It impacts us physically. We talked about that book that uh, I showed you, Deadly Emotions, by uh, Dr. Don Colbert last week as we talked about the things that happen within our body because we're angry and because we're upset and how it impacts uh, our heart. There's hardening of the arteries and how it impacts the functions of our body, uh, how it impacts our skin, how it just, just messes up everything, all because we are allowing bitterness and envy and hatred and variance and all sorts of fleshly, demonic things to dwell within our spirit. And so we saw the necessity of just tell it, just, just, just letting it go, just opening up the doors of, of, of forgiveness and, and saying, hey, you know what, you don't owe me nothing. Yeah, you hurt my feelings, you did this to me, you did that to me, or uh, this is what I expected and this is what I got and you didn't treat me right and you said this about me and you scandalized my name and all the other offenses that we've been harboring in our heart against other people. And just let them go and say, you know what, yeah, you did it, but you're forgiven. And just leave it alone. And, and then we talked about the purpose of forgiveness is restoration. When God forgave us, what he wanted to do is restore his creation to, to, to the original way that it was. He wanted continuous fellowship like he had with Adam before seeing it again. He wanted us to be able to walk with him free. He wanted his creation to begin to operate as he designed it. He wanted his creation to walk in fellowship with him. He wanted his creation to walk as one with him. And so when we forgive each other, not only are we forgiven by God, but we are able to be reconciled and restored. The ultimate purpose of forgiveness is restoration. Restored relationships, restored unity within the body of Christ. Restoration as we, we assemble ourselves together in worship that makes our worship truly sweet to the nostrils of God. And so we went through those things, and, and we really implored you to just begin to walk around. And, and even now, I, I'm, I'm still doing it as, as, as when I see something or think about something or someone that has really been offensive to me or that really did something to me, 
every time it comes up, every time God reveals something to me in those areas, I immediately say, I forgive you. I'm not going to harbor any of that stuff in my heart. And I implore you, don't harbor that stuff. You've got to feed your prisoners. And what are you feeding them? You're feeding them bitterness. You're feeding them revenge. You're feeding them hatred. And where do you think the source of all of that comes from? That comes from you. And you're killing yourself trying to feed somebody that you don't even like, and even more important, they ain't even studying you. They ain't thinking about you. And in the meantime, you're holding on to that ark, messing up your relationship with God, messing yourself up, and that person ain't even thinking, a bit more thinking about you than the man on the moon. Think about that for a second. So what I do is I'm just going through, and every chance I get, every time I see something, every time I think about something or get mad about something, I'm like, oh, no, 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 y'all not going to give me no heart attack. Y'all not going to get my blood pressure up. You're not going to mess me up with God. You are free to go. You don't owe me nothing. I forgive you. And not only am I looking for opportunities to forgive, but I'm also looking for opportunities to be reconciled and restored in any relationship. And some some relationships are really no more than friendships anyway, or associate uh, or an association anyway. And so what we're able to do is put that relationship in the place that it should have been. Now you're saying, well, what if a person did me physical harm or what if somebody stole my money or something like that? Let it go. Just if they did you physical harm, that doesn't mean that you have to go back and put yourself in a position where they can harm you again. No, you're wiser than that. But instead what it means is, that's okay, you got me that time, and I forgive you for it, and that just lets me know that, you know, we don't have that kind of relationship. Amen? So, let's move on. And forgiveness is only possible, and discipline is only possible if we have a thorough understanding of our dirty word for tonight. And our dirty word for tonight is, you ready? Repent. Ooh, what not repent? That's a word that we don't hear too much in our churches today. That's a word that we don't use ourselves today. You know, we come before God and oftentimes we say, Lord, I'm sorry that I did such and such a thing. I have sinned, oh God. And when when I'm praying, sometimes I say, Lord, you know, uh, I messed that up, I sinned, and I'm sorry. I think God just said, and and I'm like and and we and if you're like me, you think and what I said I was sorry. What more you want? Repentance is more than you know. The, the definition that we normally use for repentance is repentance means godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is an element of repentance, but repentance mean goes beyond godly sorrow. I mean, because it's a whole lot of stuff that I'm sorry for that I have not repented of. It's straight up. I mean, think about it. Most of the time when we repent, why do or think or say we repent or say we're sorry? Why are we saying that? I'm going to tell you why a lot of times I have to say it because I got caught. I didn't repent. Not according to the Bible. No, I didn't repent. And I could have been sitting there saying, ooh, Lord. And you know how we get down on our knees and we see, and, and get into those long, drawn-out prayers and, oh, Lord. And we, we're saying all manner of things, thinking that, okay, yeah, now, and get up and we think, okay, now I told the Lord that I was sorry and I, you didn't repent. So what, do you, what does the Bible mean when it talks about repentance? Let's first define what repentance is, and then after we, as we, where we define it, after we define it, let's go a little further and show you some examples of repentance, and then toward the end of, um, of our study tonight, 
what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through uh, 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 one of the Psalms that shows you truly all of the elements of repentance. So you're going to need your Bibles. So hopefully you got your Bibles and some of us, you know, who are real sensitive when we find out that we do something wrong and just bust out crying, you're going to need that snot rag again because you're going to be snotting up again, as usual. And if you've got questions, by the way, uh, 929-477-2304 or just hit me up right here on Periscope. But let's talk about repentance now. That word repent, there's about four or five different words in the Bible that help us understand biblical repentance. One of the words that's used is a word nashem, and that's a Hebrew word, and it basically means to breathe strongly, to be sorry, to pity, to console, to comfort oneself, or to ease oneself. And let's take a look at where repentance or repent is used in that context. Go in your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 13 um, and look at the 17th verse. So Exodus chapter 13, the 17th verse. Okay, here it is. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was the shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Now, those of you who are reading in a King James Bible, it says that they might repent. They might change. They might ease their take the easy way, and turn around. So in that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to change Bibles too because this NIV is, um, let me just look at something and let me see what I have handy. Um, I think I'll switch to the ESV real quick because that might convey the sense of it all a lot better than this NIV. So hang on just for a hot second as I do this, and let me read the same thing in ESV. I'm looking around now to see if I could spot my King James. I know that King James will translate it that way. ESV is uh, generally pretty close to King James. So let's just do that. Let's see, what is it? Exodus 13? Let me see how it reads there. Exodus 13, verse 17. Okay, i got to go to King James. Hang on. Right, let's see. Where is the king yet? Where did I put the king? Hmm. I'm looking around parallel, and that's New Testament message in ASB. Ah, yeah, I know where I can get it from. I've got to. Hang on. i got another one. I should have pulled this one from the beginning. This is cool. I'll go into my, yep, King James, yep. I got more Bibles. I had a nickel for every Bible that I had. No, I'd be, ooh, I might be rolling in dough. Genesis, Exodus, chapter, what did I say? 13. Good news is I can give you several translations if I want to now by pulling this down. I don't like using this one. Uh, here it is. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure, the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. So, again, what it is is it's a changing, it's a way to comfort themselves out of being discomforted in war, and they turn 
and they turn away from the way. Another, just real quick, another passage is in Numbers chapter 23. See, the other thing about this is Exodus, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. And again, I'll read in the uh, King James Version. Here, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Again, there's the sense of turning away from what he says. Now, when we look at repentance and we look at God, you say, well, wait a minute. I thought God was unchangeable. God's purpose, when God purposes to do something, his overall purpose, he doesn't change what he's going to do, it, the purpose of his purpose. What he does is he might he'll change his method of doing it. So sometimes when God is on the verge of disciplining us, and he looks and he sees that we have changed our ways, his initial thoughts toward us might be, oh, in order to get them to cross over into blessing. I am going to have to turn up the heat in this situation and let them walk with the enemy, let the enemy in on them, okay? Let Satan have his way. But when the Lord sees, hey, they got the picture, then rather than go that route to get you to your blessing, he says, okay, I ain't got to let the devil loose on that one. I ain't got to let the devil do anything. And so that, in a sense, he changes what he is about to do to accomplish his purpose. That's the sense of God repenting. So again, that first word that we look at, it's basically to comfort self, to ease self, to be sorry. Okay, that's, that's what it says there. Another way that we can define repentance is the word schwab, which means to turn back to retreat, to get oneself back again. It also has the connotations of recalling, recover, recompass, rescue, restore, reverse, turn again, withdraw. So now when you put that together with what we've already learned, now, now you see the turning part. You see, again, sometimes we say when we, when we define repentance, we refine it as a turning from one thing to another. Here's the word schwab that's used to convey repentance in that area. Look at 1 Kings uh, 8.41. Let's start there. Go to, and here's, this is an example. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 41. Pages are thin today. Verse 41. First Kings chapter 8. Is it? Maybe it's 47. Am I right in the bed? Here it is. Yes, 47, not 41. I can't read my own writing sometimes. Yet if they shall bethink themselves in the land whether they were carried captives, and repent and make supplication unto thee in the land of them that carried them captive, saying, We have sinned and have done perversely. We have committed wickedness. Here, the, the, the way that this, this writer is using that word repent is in the sense of they turn, they change, they move from the direction that they were going in into another direction. It, so they withdraw from their sins and begin to enter into righteousness. And one of the things that, that we fail to capture, and I, I, I'm going to leak this a little early, is that repentance uh, is incomplete unless there is a change in mind or heart that leads to this change in direction. 
So in the first word, natum, what we got is a sense of the emotional aspect of repentance. In the second word that we looked at, shrub, we got the motion of repentance, meaning the turning. And the two of them together begin to suggest that there has to be a change in the way we think to accomplish repentance, to accomplish us turning in our direction. We don't just repent because we're scared to get uh, uh, incur the wrath of God. That is not repentance. That's fear. And the type of fear that God is looking for from his children is reverential fear, that we reverence him and respect him. It's not that, it's not that I'm scared of God, so I ain't going to do this. No. That's bondage, by the way. And he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. God wants us free to have a relationship with him based upon love. But let's keep going in this word because I still haven't defined, finished defining it. Go to Ezekiel chapter 14. Keep going past Proverbs. Keep going past Isaiah, Jeremiah, and you should get to Ezekiel. Or Lamentations in Ezekiel, right? Okay, Ezekiel chapter 14. And I know you guys out there with them little old phone devices. All y'all doing is spinning your Wiping that thing with your fingers. And, but us that still like to turn pages, we have to know where this stuff is at. And one of these days, your battery's going to run bad. And then you have to get your Bible out again. And we're going to see what you know then. Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 6. It says, Therefore, say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent and turn yourselves from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. So now you see this motion of turning, turning away from idols and turning to God, turning away from the abominations and turning toward that which is righteous. Now look at the, look, let's, let's go quickly to the New Testament. The New Testament, it see, uh, they, they use the word metanoia, and it means to think differently after or afterwards reconsider. So repentance involves a change in the way that we're thinking. Turn to Matthew verse 3, chapter 3 rather. Let's do this quick because I'm taking a little bit more time with this because what I want us to understand is what this word informs us is necessary if we are to repent. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. Y'all, this is crying and stuff. And then if we just crying, we just sorry. That's it. We just sorry. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. I'm getting there. These little thin pages. I'm trying out the town. Look. And saying, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so here again, we've got, we've got John the Baptist preaching here, and he's saying, change the way you think. If you change the way you think, you're going to change the way you act. You're going to change the way on the direction that you're walking in, because what does the Bible teach us? As a man thinketh, so is he. So if our thought processes are wrong, if our will is wrong, of course we're going to be wrong. But here, John is compelling us, compelling the people of Israel, change the way you think because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change the way you're looking at things because the rule of God is at hand. That's what he's saying. Go over to Luke 13. I'm really, I'm really beating this. I'm really beating on this real hard, and I'm doing it for a reason because we've got to pound this into our hearts. So when when we're faced with this, we know what we need to do. Luke chapter thirteen, verse three. Luke twelve, Luke thirteen, verse three in the King James version. It says, "Here, I'm gonna start at first one. 
There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. So, and except you change the way that you think, that causes you to change the way that you behave and change the way that you walk, except you make that change and turn to the right way from the wrong, you're going to perish. That's what he's saying. Now, there's another word that is used of repentance, and it's an Old Testament word, and it basically means desist. In uh, there's repentance that means to think differently, and this is another firm form of metanoia. It's, it, it basically says to think differently and reverse. Let's look at Matthew nine thirteen, so you can see this. And I'm I'm showing you that there's a there's a turning, there's a reversal, there's a, a logical acknowledgement of the fact that whoa, I'm thinking the wrong way. If, the, if, if you're really going to repent, you have to logically acknowledge that, ooh, and when I say logically, you have to think this thing through. Matthew 9.13. I'm getting there. And i got to check my time in a second to see how fast i got to go after this because now we're going to get into the meat of the lesson of repentance. Matthew 9, chapter 13. These pages sticking together. This is a Bible that I don't use all that much because I prefer to do something. Here it is. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So what Jesus is saying when he says this, I'm calling the people that are offensive to God, who are offending God, to a changing of their minds, hearts, and direction so they can come to God. That's what that means. So to summarize all of that, repentance means a change of mind that results in a change of direction that will result in a different behavior. Again, a change of mind that results in a change of direction that results in a different behavior. That's repentance. So is godly sorrow involved? It sure is. But I want to show you how, how repentance works now. Let me just let me move this out of the way because I don't need this anymore. Let me move this and so I can get comfortable again. Um where am I at? Let's see. So I, I think I got about 20 minutes. I got about 20 minutes. Get ready to take some more notes. Let me see what my time looks like. Okay, I got 20 minutes. 21 minutes. Good, 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 good. Now, there are four elements that are involved in repentance. The four elements are, number one, it a comprehension of the wrong done. That's that mind element that we talked about earlier. Number two, an earnest desire for justice. And justice is the righteous rule of God. So, number one, a comprehension of the wrong done. And this doesn't mean that you go around and you're looking at the wrongs that other people do. This is not about somebody else. This is about you. So when, and, and when you write this definition down or, or this element down, you write down, I need to comprehend what I've done wrong. Make it personal. It's, again, because it's so easy for us to go around and look and find what everybody else done, has done wrong 
and we around here stinking like we've been playing basketball in old gym shoes. We just stank, but we could tell everybody else how they smell. No, this is one of them things where my mother would walk in the house and she would say, ooh, something stink. And all of us boys especially would begin to put our nose upon our arms to see if it was us. And, of course, it was because, you know, we boys. And what do boys do? Boys stank, period. But we comprehension of wrongs done. That's number one. Number two, an earnest desire for justice, an earnest desire for the righteousness of God, an earnest desire to see things put right. The third thing is the desire for the presence of God, because we know when we have sinned, we have interrupted our fellowship with God, and so our desire is for his presence, we are so overwhelmed with the absence of fellowship that we want God back. We, you know, as uh, no, I want God. And sometimes God has vacated the presence, our presence, or we're outside of the presence of God. We're not fellowshipping with God, and well, we know it. We think just because we go to church and we sing the songs or we go to church and the preacher says, lift your hands or touch your neighbor or whatever he's saying that day and we're participating, we think that we are in the presence of God or we pretend like we're in the presence of God because you know God ain't there. You know in the midnight hours when, you, when you're sitting up there and, and how it feels for God to be present in the room with you. You know how it feels when, when you're just walking down the street all day long and you're having a conversation and folk looking at you thinking that you're having a conversation with yourself and you're talking, you talking to God all day long. You know how that feels. You know how it feels when your favorite uh, worship song comes on the radio and you think that you're just getting ready to sing along with them and the next thing you know your hands are lifted up and the room got tight and there's an overwhelming presence and you don't care who's looking in your window or who see you because you're in the presence of God. You know when you are in fellowship with God and if you're out of fellowship, there's this overwhelming urge to this, for his presence. So, again, comprehension of wrongs done, earnest desire for justice, desire for the presence of God, and finally, change actions. You're going to change your actions. You're going to change what you've been doing to what God wants you to do. You're going to stop walking in, in, in all wild and everything and receive and accept the discipline of God. You're going to stop skipping Bible study and, and stop coming to church late because you don't want to be bothered standing up for a half an hour doing praise and worship. You just want to hear what the preacher got to say and hopefully he'll have an entertaining message and then just go ahead on home. Or you'll stop leaving church as soon as praise and worship is over because no more saying. And when the word comes, you know, you sneak out the door. Come on now. You know you use that Baptist finger, even though you're in a Pentecostal church, trying to get out of there because you don't want to receive the discipline of the word. You think you're fooling. Or you're messing around and, and, and you walk in an unforgiveness. And you don't want to hear what God got to say concerning unforgiveness. And so you you rather just sit up there and burn your fool self half to death rather than yield to God and say, okay, God, I'm going to do it your way. And you don't realize that why you walking around and God ain't with you. You be like old Samson. Think you're getting ready to go out there and whip up on some Philistines and don't know, uh-oh, the spirit ain't with you today. And so you wind up blinded and treated like an ox and grinding corn because of failure to recognize your wrong, to recognize, change your thinking, because what you really want is justice. What you really want is right, God's righteousness, not your righteousness now. 
Not the way you think. Uh-uh, no, 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 servant. No, God's righteousness. That's what you want. And you have such an overwhelming desire for the presence of God that you, you're like, uh-uh, I ain't going this way no more. I'm going to change. This is to change. Now that I recognize that I'm wrong. I heard an old lady say, when I, when I recognize that I'm wrong, I won't be wrong long. That's you. You don't want to be wrong long. So you have a different action. Your desire for the presence of God leads you to that earnest repentance. But before you can repent, you have to be willing to acknowledge. You have to be willing to humble yourself and say, you know what, I'm wrong. And some of us just so arrogant and pride-filled that even when we know that we're wrong, even when God has revealed all of these things to us, we still just sit up there and rather just be tight-lipped because that pride. If I say to let somebody know I'm wrong or if I tell God I'm wrong or somebody find out that I was wrong, they're going to think less of me. Uh, let me say it like the young people say, skip that. That's from the pit of hell. That's Satan trying to keep you away from the presence of God. But there was one guy who wasn't going to let nobody keep him from God's presence. And that's where we're going for the next um, 13, about 12 minutes or so. I want you to turn in your Bible to the ultimate repenter, the guy that shows us what all of these steps look like, the guy that shows us what repentance really looked like, and that's King David himself. If one thing, David was, David knew how to mess some stuff up, but David also knew how to get right with God. That's, that's, you see, one of the features, one of the, it's like God gives us, I like to call him a fail-safe. One of the things that God does for us is he recognizes, you know what, and if he didn't recognize it in you, he recognized it for me. He said, you know, that Winfrey, that child going to mess up. And not only is he going to mess up one, he's going to mess up a whole bunch of times. So I got to make sure that even after I save him, that I put something in there so he can be restored unto me through repentance. And that's what that is. That's God saying, mm -hmm, I know you're going to mess up. I know you're going to get it wrong. So guess what? I'm going to make a way for you. Yeah, because all this stuff is covered under the blood. But that fellowship is just so rich and so important that, look, I don't just want to be saved. I want to be with God now. I want to be in his presence now. I want him all over and in me now, not later. I can't wait. I need it now. I've experienced it before, and I want it again. So let's look. Remember the four things I gave you? Let's show, let, let me show you where they're at. Look at Psalm 51. First of all, the comprehension of things of wrongs done. Listen to this. This is David in Psalm 51. And, you know, this is the occasion when Nathan came to him and told him, you know, God know about what you and Bathsheba been doing. And God know what you did to Uriah the Hittite. He know all of that stuff. And here's David's response. He says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my inequity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I, here's the word, comprehension of wrongs done. Verse 3, for I know my transgression, and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So he's look. He's not sitting up there trying to say, well, you know, um, no, I, I really didn't do it, or it was a mistake. No, he has come to the conclusion that what he did was wrong. Now, the thing about it is this: when we do something wrong, most of the time we know it's wrong before we even start it. We just decide, you know what? I might be able to get away with that one, so I'm gonna do it. At least that's kind of my mo. A lot of times I'm doing something wrong, and I know before I even do it, yeah, but maybe I won't get caught. But when you know that it's wrong, and you know that it's offensive to God, and you know that it's messing with your fellowship, you got to come up there, you got to come straight up, convinced that, look, 
I know what I've done is wrong. It is the comprehension of the wrong done. And this passage shows us that David comprehends that what he has done is outside the scope of God. Secondly, he goes on and says, I'm going to pick up at uh, 4B, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the innermost place. So, first of all, he acknowledges his wrong. Secondly, he desires justice. He desires righteousness. And in desiring righteousness, what does he do? He says, look, I can't stand before you like this. I can't stand before you wrong. Repentance is a desire to be into the, in the presence of God. And as they are, you're in, to be in the presence of God, what do you need to do? You need to be righteous in his sight. So desiring righteousness is desiring the righteousness of God to make sure that there's restoration of this wrong done and also restoration of the wrongdoer. And the wrongdoer is restored through cleansing. So what does David say in verse 7? Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So it is the desire for wholeness through cleansing. Look, God, I want you to get this off of me. It's him desiring forgiveness and cleansing of his innermost being as well as that which is without. You see, it's more than just you being sorry. It's you wanting to be in the presence of God. That's number three. Being in the, the desire to be in the presence of God. Look what he says. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You see, he said, look, God, don't, don't, don't take me away. Don't take your presence away from me. I need your spirit. I need to be in your presence. That's the sign of somebody who's just in love with God, who loves God more than he loves his sin. Compare David to Saul. When Samuel comes to Saul and tells him of his sin, specifically where he does not uh, destroy the Amalekites as God commanded. Did Samuel repent? Did Samuel actually show that he comprehended the, his wrongdoing? Or did Samuel have an earnest desire for, for, to make things right with God? Did Samuel desire the presence, or Saul desire the presence of God? No. Because if you go back and look at it, Saul was like, look, I'm going to look bad in front of people. So if, if, if you're going to do all that, at least go back and let's, you know, go through the motions of sacrifice and, 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 and have a fellowship like we fellowshipping with God. But don't throw me, you know, don't, don't let anybody know that I'm out of whack with God, that God has just thrown me down. He didn't repent. And some of us tonight will, 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 will hear this lesson and think that repentance is optional and that we can go into the presence of God the way we are because Jesus has opened up the way. And I'm here to tell you that, yes, Jesus opened up the way, but you better not go in there. Mm -mm. You got nothing coming. You just be going, you like so, just going through the motions. Look at David. David's saying, cleanse me. God, don't take your spirit from me. Uh-uh. Because David had witnessed what a king was like when God's spirit was no longer present. 
David had sat in with Saul after God's spirit had fled and an evil spirit had come upon him. David saw that Saul was crazy as a pissy bed bug. One minute he's sitting up there telling you, you're all good, everything is all good, and the next minute he's throwing a spear trying to pin you to the wall. David experienced the, the, the schizophrenic behavior of Saul, and David said, look, I don't want that. I want you, God. Look at yourself today. Walking in whatever. Because I can't tell, I can't tell nobody if, if, that they're in sin or like, no, 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 no. That's between you and God. And you have, and if you know that there's something, an area of repentance that's necessary, then it's up to you to get with it. But look at look at how he finishes. Here's this action. Go to, I'm still at, I'm at um, verse 13. Here's the action that he says. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do, not, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasures in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh, God, you will not despise. Here's that godly sorrow. He says, I'm humbling myself before you, God. I'm casting my heart down before you, O God. I'm, I'm, as they say, I'm bowing down to your will and your way because your will and your way are right, and that's what I desire. He says, and that's what you want. And then finally he says, in your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. What he's saying is, God, and I worship you. The nation will worship you. I'll lead the nation in worship. I won't go around making things look, making you look bad by going around here and, and violating people. By murdering people, taking other folks' wives. You didn't call me to be that kind of king. God didn't call us to be the kind of people that brought forth injustice. God calls us to be the type of people who bring forth justice, who desire justice, who desire his presence. God wants to fill us and send us out as vessels of forgiveness. God wants to train us in the way that we should walk, the way that most exemplifies him, that shows the world his glory by showing himself in us. That's what God wants to do. And that's why repentance, changing our minds as we change our direction toward God, as we change the way we act toward God. So, again, and repentance is comprehension of wrongs done, an earnest desire for, desire for the presence of God, and changed actions. And you want me to tell you what repentance leads to? Turn to Luke 19.8. I hope I can get this for you. 19.8. And I hope I can get this just before we shut down on Global Drive. Come on, boy. Use your fingers. 19.8. Ooh, I got the wrong thing. Oh, Luke 15.7. I'm sorry. Ooh, my notes. My notes. Read your notes, son. 15.7. Repentance leads to rejoicing. What does it say? I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then in, um, in Luke 19 also, it talks about 
uh, that repentance will lead to a time of refreshing. The same that the type of refreshing that David desired. Tonight I pray that you get a great understanding of repentance and where there's sin in your heart and sin in your lives, that you would get the understanding that uh, that your thinking about it needs to change. And in changing your thinking, that you will change your direction. And in changing your direction, you walk into the arms of the loving Father who will lead you and guide you because he wants to restore that fellowship with you. And in being restored, that you change the way. There's a change in the way that you lived before him. Well, that's all for tonight. God bless you and God keep you and may his face ever smile upon you. And before I leave, let me give you the blessing that I always like to give to as, as commanded by God. And that blessing, ooh, I, I know it by heart, but I'd rather read it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Hallelujah. Be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen.